Thank you for joining us here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. Uh, as always, Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in strategic marketing and growth for addiction treatment and behavioral health. You can learn more about them at www.circlesocialinc.com. And the Recovery Executive Podcast is a, a podcast specifically designed to help people from the business end of things with their addiction treatment centers. As we know, we have to run good clinical programs, but if we're not running a good business, especially nowadays with the, the struggles we have with reimbursement, higher deductibles, you know, higher marketing costs, higher everything costs, <laughs> um, running the business end in a way that's profitable is incredibly important for us to achieve our mission and move forward. So we bring in experts from around the country to talk about different topics, uh, to hopefully help business owners and executives and directors uh, run a better center so they can help more people. Today, I'm speaking with Ben, I hope I'm gonna say the last name right, Kanekala. Uh, he, can, he can yell at me if I pronounce that wrong, but great discussion that we had. Uh, I hope you guys are really gonna enjoy it. I think we both got a little bit carried away uh, with some of our pent up feelings about the direction of the field and what needs to happen in terms of especially core leadership, taking a stand, um, making sure that we're accountable for what we're doing in the space. And the focus of the podcast is kind of talking about, you know, ethical practices and running good business operations and clinical operations together to make sure that we have a successful center. And that might mean lower profits or lower margins than a lot of people in this space were used to. But the reality is that the field has shifted, it has changed, and we... I think most of us, we're not in this for the money, right? We're, we're all looking to be profitable. We want to help more people. Obviously, we hope to be rewarded from those efforts. But at the same time, we need to be able to do it like any normal business, like every other business that exists in, in healthcare or across the U.S. where you're making 10 to 20% margins max, you know, for, for most things. So Ben and I talk about what it is to have that kind of leadership. Um, we also talk a little bit about what not to do, right? So Ben actually worked for Sovereign Health for a while and he saw the writing on the wall there and learned a lot about what not to do. And so we talk about, you know, some of the different negative things we've seen in the field and how it backfires over time. Um, so, but when you do things the right way, you have a sustainable business model, you're in it for the long term, right? A long term healthy center rather than one that pops up and has to disappear, you know, six months later. So, very exciting discussion. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I hope you guys had as much fun as we did talking about it. And I would very be very interested in any feedback that you have. So, as always, email me at nick at circlesocialinc.com. I'm happy to. Uh, you know, field your thoughts, questions, anything else. Hey, Ben, how are you doing today? Good, Rick. Uh, very good. Okay, cool. Well, happy to have you on the show here. Uh, why don't you first tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, my name is Ben Kaniankala. I'm uh, originally from uh, Hawaii and moved uh, here to Southern California about eight years ago uh, to work in the treatment industry here. And about two and a half years ago, me and my, my me and my wife decided that we would open up our own treatment center um, called Phoenix Rising Behavioral Health Care Services and also Fate Behavioral, which is our uh, private practice. Uh, my wife is a licensed like, uh, LMFT and a psychologist, and I am a LADAC here in California. Um, so that's kind of our, our, our company. And uh, I'm also in recovery myself. I've been clean and sober for 29 years uh, and still active in my own recovery and program. Um, so that's a little bit about us. <laughs> And what we're doing. So I got interested in speaking with you because you had a LinkedIn video. <laughs> I love the <laughs> power of social media. No, that was my wife. We had attended the the. We got asked, or I got asked to be on a panel at the the NCAD conference over here at Disneyland, and uh, and the topic of the of the the panel was, you know, is is the treatment industry uh, missing the message or, or or something like that or you know, with all the negative publicity going on in Southern California uh, regarding a lot of body brokering and referral services and all this stuff and insurance fraud and all these things. So Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what caught my eye. You know, you had a pretty um, strong opinion about that, as I think a lot of us do. You know, so can you tell us a little bit about what your thoughts were on that matter and, you know, what you think needs to change kind of as a general field perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that there's a lot of legislation uh, kinds of things being proposed, and I know CCAP here has been 
doing a lot of work on that and probably some other uh, agencies working together to try and uh, get legislation around trying to put some controls around what's what's going on uh, to prevent this from continuing to happen. Um, but a lot of, I, I think the, the point that I was trying to make at the conference was that the reason a lot of these issues are happening is because of owners and CEOs of these treatment centers allowing these people into their treatment center. Mm -hmm. These people would not even be around if owners and CEOs uh, said, no, we don't, we don't do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? So um, I was like, the problem isn't these people. They're always going to be those people. And I was like, it's the owner and CEOs of the treatment centers that are allowing these things to happen. And um, so that was my, my my big thing at the at the conference and and, and the discussion of the panel. It, yeah, legislation's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. But we needed to do something around how do we hold owners and CEOs accountable in the addiction treatment arena um, to to stop them or prevent them from you know uh, operating and or opening up another treatment center if, if they were to ever shut down or get shut down you know, by the state or something like that. So that's, that was my whole thing at the conference. So, you know, that was something that I think was why I wanted to engage with you and discuss on this, because we do see a lot of problems with leadership, right, across the field. Mm-hmm. And something that I see happen a lot, though, is we love to point fingers or, you know, expect someone else to fix the problem. So if we look at the legislative right. end, you know, I'm just hoping that someone else is going to legislate this away and make these people shut down. But there is a, a very large onus on us, right? And so much of what happens, yeah. like you said, is people looking the other way or not taking accountability. And, you know, I'm a huge believer in taking accountability and responsibility for the problems that you want to fix, right? And so if you're seeing problems yeah. with other treatment center owners, well, what can you do to make sure that the field has a better image or to make sure that those practices aren't happening? You know, are you involved in the community? Are you reporting people? Are you involved in passing some of this legislation? And how do you go about setting a a good example? And so I think that's something that you mentioned in your video and LinkedIn was, you know, you were working hard to set up and prove, you know, a business model that works without having to do, you know, ethically questionable activities. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of, um, you know, I, I, I had the, oh, how shall I say this, the, the opportunity to work for, um, since I came here to California eight years ago, three treatment centers that have been shut down because of brokering, insurance fraud, various other things. And I had recognized and saw the writing on the wall when I was working for the treatment centers and there wasn't anything that any of us people who worked for these agencies could do because it was the owners of the treatment centers that made the final call. And, and, and if they didn't want you involved in it, they go and hire somebody else that'd be willing to do the dirty work and not even consider you in, in the process. So there was a lot of undermining going on within, within these treatment centers. And those were some of the main reasons why, uh, I left uh, these these treatment centers and then eventually had gone to a point where the last place that I was at was Sovereign Health. And I was with them for almost three years. And I was just like, I, I just can't do this. Like, this is just getting craziness. And um, that was when I decided that I was going to go and and open up my, my own treatment center, me and my wife, uh, so that we didn't have to be a, a part of that. Now, I, I think I think for me, uh, I think my my 29 years of sobriety, my my you know participation in my own recovery, uh, seeing a therapist on a regular basis, just doing self care and taking care of myself. I I also have a bachelor's degree in business, a master's degree in business, and then I've done all my coursework uh, for my doctorate in business management. So I have both a clinical background, a management background, and also education to kind of help kind of blend it all together. And a lot of the times the owners of these treatment centers are investors or they might just be clinicians uh, with no business background. (laughs) You know what I mean? So 
I think a lot of the people that are coming in or opening up distribution centers don't have all of the skill sets that they need to be able to truly run a, a, a treatment center that's ethical, that's, that's using best business practices, things of that nature. And that's a hard find. That's not an easy thing. And these guys are just popping up because they got you know money and they're like, yay, let's go open up a treatment center. I'll just hire people to do these things for me. You know what I mean? And um, when, 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 when you're not making money, uh, when the treatment, the, the treatment center isn't making money and the owner is going, uh, we're losing money, uh, what are you going to do about it? And these people that he's hired are going, there's nothing, we're doing everything that we can. And then he goes behind all the people that he hired to go and get a body broker or a referral guy to bring clients to him. Yep. You know, so there's no like there's no consequences for them. You know, um, community care licensing uh, here for mental health treatment uh, require the owners and uh, and the like to to become administrators and go through courses and, and be clear fingerprinted to be, you know, to have all these things and to, and to be credentialed to, to some degree. And if they violate any of the, the, the laws that they could be reprimanded. Mm-hmm. The addiction arena here in California doesn't have that in place. So any Joe Smoke can, you know, open up a treatment center and there goes the industry. Right. Yep. That's exactly it. You know, I, on this show, we talk a lot about the dearth of talent that's, you know, existent in the field of addiction treatment. And it's for exactly those reasons you mentioned, either there are people coming in with a business background, but they don't have the clinical background or at least clinical experience in the healthcare mm-hmm. space. And that's a big problem because you cannot run a treatment center like you would a retail store or an e-commerce center, right? Right. There are very strong ethical concerns, you know, and so these guys kind of come in and they're like, well, patient brokering is legal. Why can't we do it? You know, they're just thinking about it from a numbers perspective. And that's a huge problem because this is healthcare. People's lives are on the line. Um, I mean, your brand's on the line. Everything's on the line, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really important. But then, like you said, too, I mean, I see it all the time. You know, we get so many centers that just don't understand business. So great clinicians, their programs are great. They have their hearts in the right place, but they can't run a good business. And if you can't run a good business, then you really can't help people to the best of your ability because you're bleeding money Mm -hmm. or you're spending money in places that could be going to better staff, better programming, you know, or you just can't expand. And obviously we want the people with a good clinical program to expand and grow and, and help more people. Um, so you do need both, right? Yeah. You know, so what would be your recommendations, you know, for people saying, hey, I'm missing one or the other. I really care about the space. I want to do it right. But um, I'm missing one of these pieces. You know, what would you recommend that they do? Um, get together and uh, start networking with uh, uh, treatment centers or owners that are uh, like-minded. You know, um, and yes, it, it's it's a it's a it's a hard find. It isn't. It, I, since I opened up Phoenix Rising, I've I've gone and visited a number of treatment centers uh, to try and build relationships with them and, and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, we're, we're talking probably over thirty treatment centers, and I'm only down to working with two. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, and uh, and 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 and. So we, we got to go out there and find, you know, the right connection and, and people that are like minded and, and are doing it the right way. And then, you know, and most of these people that I went to see told me that they're doing it the right way and they're doing, yes, you know, we don't believe in body broking. And then I might just so happen to get a client from there. And they're like, oh, no, I got I, I got over there by a referral person. I'm just mm-hmm. like, yep. what? What are you guys talking about? And then I just cut the I just silently cut the relationship and just not engage that treatment center again and just keep going out and, and looking. Um, and that's what I've done. So I, I've connected with uh, two treatment centers, uh, the owners, and we're, we're looking at partnering up together um, because I think, I think if we can get together with like-minded people and support each other, I think that we can, we can help each other in the long run. In, in the tough times, because running a, a good business, a, a ethical practice, isn't going to bring you a lot of money. No. You know, money is right. not just rolling in over here. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so 
getting together with them, like I had lunch the other day with uh, a, a treatment center, friends of mine, and uh, we're talking about all of that and, and, and all of the stresses, the financial stresses and, you know, and, and, and uh, the, the, the clinical stresses that go on and all that kind of stuff and not having a place to go where you can honestly share openly about the challenges that you're having. It's just like us in recovery. It's just like, you know, we can't just do recovery by ourselves. We got to go to meetings. We got to call a sponsor. We got to work the steps. We got to get in the service. You know, we got to practice prayer, meditation, spirituality. Like, it's the same thing in the industry. We need to build support systems just like that where we can meet on a regular basis or at least be available by phone to be able to talk to each other and, and, and let each other know what challenges we're facing because two minds are better than one. And everybody has different experiences, educational backgrounds, all this kind of stuff. And if we get together, like I did the other day with this couple, they're so similar, like me and my wife. The wife's the clinician, the husband's the business guy, you know? And uh, we, we get together and we just share about the stresses that, that are going on uh, within our day-to-day. And having that kind of support and knowing that I'm not alone and that there's somebody there that understands the stresses and isn't just reacting to the stresses. Cause I think that's what happens as an owner is that we end up reacting to the stresses rather than responding to the stresses that go on as a business owner of a treatment center. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things. And, and I've had to use my own resources to help me walk through some of the challenges that I faced here, but it's good to get, it's good to get um, a, a close knit group, or, or one or two or three people, owners of these treatment centers, and get together and, and create our own support system for each other. That's awesome. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? This is the same exact issue that I see constantly in this field is, you, I visit tons of treatment centers all the time, right? And you have all these people that say that they're doing the right thing, but it's just on the surface, right? Or they're really not yeah. taking a leadership position on it. And what I mean by that yeah. is they say, well, okay, you know, I say I'm going to do things the right way, but then I don't really dig. I don't really ask questions about what my staff is doing as long as the numbers are good. And what you see so often in the space is as long as the numbers are good, nobody's asking any questions. Everyone's just like, yeah, just keep doing whatever you're doing, you know? And then the second that the census is down, then it's just a lot of angry people screaming at each other, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is not helpful, yeah. you know? But I, yeah. I do the same thing that you do is I'm very intentional about who I connect with and there I'm slowly forming and building a, a very good network of very good people that see the future of the mm-hmm. industry, right? And like you said, it's not about the money because yeah. the money's gone. You know, I mean, obviously we all want to be profitable and it's going to be very important for us to move this field forward to continue that profitability, but it's going to be 10, 20% margins, right? It's not going to be 50, 60%. Mm-hmm. And so it's a normal business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that's yeah. every business yeah, in the it world. Yeah, it is a, a normal business. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. So, you know, we're yeah. going to have to understand that it's, it's going to be partly it's going to be more volume oriented, right? To make the numbers work, you're going to have to get a certain higher number of people through. You're going to have to lower your costs a hell of a lot, make sure your operations are very mm-hmm. lean, you know, and all these things yep. that people um, are definitely not used to at all in this space. <laughs> it's going to be very new, very yeah. new world. Um, but it's the right way, direction yeah. to go, and I'm I'm excited for it because what it's going to do is it's going to, you know, basically kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, right? The people that were just in it for yeah. the money are going to disappear because the money's not there anymore. The people that don't know how to run a good business are unfortunately probably going to fail, um, and then mm-hmm. we'll be left with a bunch of really good operators, you know. Yeah. And it's just like any other business, you know, you got the good people, you got the bad people. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It's always, you're always going to have that, you know what I mean? But uh, just like what, 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 what we're talking about is just connecting with people that are genuine, sincere. They're not, you know, out there to make the quick buck, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you can tell who that is yes. when you go out and, and meet them. And whenever a treatment center doesn't want an owner to meet an owner, that's always a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Right. Well, you know, an issue with this is just like real estate or insurance agents or even digital marketing firms, right? Like there's no barrier to Mm -hmm. entry. Like you said, you don't need a license. You don't need credentialing. You can literally just open up shop if you have, you know, some money behind you. And so, Mm -hmm. so many people that get into it aren't really prepared for it at all um, or maybe weren't that serious about it and thought it was going to be some kind of like easy money or something like that. 
So as I think as the barriers to entry start to increase, which they have quite a bit already, just in terms of competition, right? Um, mm-hmm. We'll see that yeah. change. I mean, I see it so often, even in my own space, you know, we'll see digital marketing firms pop up on every corner, um, but they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> it's just that it didn't take right. a lot to get one started. So they said that they're a digital marketing firm, you know, so it's, I think. Some yeah. And I've, and I've, and I've, and I've, I've relied upon uh, relationships that I've built uh, with people that I know that are um, true in doing what they're doing. It's just like, I don't do any of my marketing. I I hired a colleague of mine that we worked at the same treatment center and we both left the the, the treatment center around the same time. And she was uh, the marketing director of this treatment center. And she went and started her own business also. And I know that she does, things right because that was that was part of why we ended up connecting was because we were with a treatment center we were trying to do the right thing but weren't allowed to do the right thing Mm. and so when she went out and started her own marketing company she was the first person that I went to because she's the only clean marketing person that I knew you know that wasn't involved in any body brokering or referral services or call centers or anything like that and she became my marketing director, and she handles all of my behind-the-scenes marketing things that, that goes on for, for Phoenix Rising. So having people like that that, that you know that aren't going to sway over, you know what I mean, and, 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 and have that billing companies are the same way. I've gone through two horrific experiences with billing companies since yeah. I started. And, uh, and, and the one that I'm with now, I've never seen – that type of transparency in billing since I've, since I've been around and uh, just the, the transparency, the authenticity to what they do, just the, you know, I mean, this, I've never seen that. And I, and I always wondered why that wasn't there, you know what I mean? And uh, the owner of the billing company was just like, I was like, are you planning on growing? Do you want to become big and all that kind of stuff? She said, no, I want to stay small. And, and her principle was, if I help you grow, I will grow. Right, exactly. You know, and I was just like, I was like, wow, that's that's a freaking concept right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like, right. I get that, yeah. you know. And yeah. I went and visited their their office, and I met every single department. And she's got billing broken down into into processes and steps and departments, you know. And I got to go and meet and talk with all of them and find out how and what the process is and all that kind of stuff and. And everything that they do is put on and it's, I, I can open up a spreadsheet and go, bam, that's what's happening with that client. Bam, that's what's happening with that claim. Bam, that's what's happening. Like that kind of transparency, the other two billing companies that I had, I could not get information from them at all. Yeah. And, and if I did, it would take weeks to get the information that I needed. I can't run a business like that. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, they're the ones that bring the income in. And yeah. if I can't trust my billing company – how am I going to stay in business? And if my billing company is willing to do shady stuff, why would I want to be with them? Exactly. Or if they're not working just as hard as I am, right. why would I want to be with them? So these are some of the things uh, as a business uh, owner of a treatment center that's really important on the business side. You know, it's your billing, your marketing, some of your key components. And then clinical, I'm hands-on because I'm a clinician also. I do groups three to five times a week here. I know exactly what's going on with my clients. I know exactly what's going on with my staff because we're here every day. Right. You know, and, and, and that's important for me. That's really important for me as, as, as the owner. Yeah. I think you always have to have your foot, you know, in the thick of it is what I like to say. You know, even when I used to run schools, I would always do the same thing. I was taught like a class a week, right. Just to make sure that I had my Mm -hmm. pulse on what was going on with students and teachers. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, owning the marketing agency, you know, I go and I visit our clients all the time and that's pretty rare from what I understand with other agencies, but I've got to know what's going on with the centers. I've got to know what's going on with the clients, you know, to know what's working what's not working, all the changes that are happening constantly. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to stay on top of. Yeah. Um, but the billing is a big one, right? I hear complaints from that all the time. Yeah. So many billing companies, you know, it's, it'd be rare, I think, that they would do anything shady, but they just don't work very hard for you, right? There's low-hanging fruit. They submit yeah. those reimbursements. They get their percentage, their 10%, right? And then they're happy, and they don't work for the hard stuff because they can go and get, you know, low-hanging fruit from another client. So finding a good billing mm-hmm. company can be really challenging. 
it can be and uh it, it's yeah and, and and it's been an experience and and uh, and uh just something that i guess you just got to go through right i mean it's opaque that's what you're saying the transparency is lacking and so many people don't have the background that's why they hired the billing company right so it's hard to understand mm-hmm. you know when they're not doing things the best of their ability unless you switch companies and you're like oh wow this is so much better <laughs> you know yeah yeah totally and you know the, the billing company that I ended up switching over to about a year ago, like comes out and meets with us and does training regularly, like to make sure that we get better at documentation because they need that when they're doing UR, yep. things of that nature. You know what I mean? Like all, all of that is really important to us, yes. you know, and, and that can really help us get more authorizations for our clients or to make sure, you know, because the insurance company's job is to deny, deny, deny. And, and this billing company that I have, has made sure that they've put protocols in place and secured things and made sure that there wasn't going to be any kind of loophole that when they went and got authorization for a particular client, they had all their ducks in order to make sure that when that insurance company kicked it back, they weren't going to be able to. Or FDR, it wasn't going to be like a three to six month process. It was going to be something that they were going to respond to right away and get it taken care of and the insurance company was going to be forced to pay. Yep. You know, those types of things is huge for a business. Right. For 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 somebody like us. You know what I mean? Especially a small outfit like us. Yeah. And um so yeah. There's gotta be that operational component. I mean, we find that all the time with clients too, as well as their follow up process is awful. They don't have a CRM in place, they're not tracking right, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if you mm-hmm. don't provide some kind of the operational expertise to help them build those systems, then you're not building that partnership. You know, like you said, it can't be a vendor relationship. You've got to be saying, okay, I'll help you build your business. You help me build mine. We'll work together to grow this because then you're both winning. Yeah. yeah One thing I, I wanted to go back that. to that I like that you were saying is, you know, so the, the person that you're working with on marketing, for example, and your own kind of personal beliefs was that you had to stand up for it and make the hard decisions. And that's the reality mm-hmm. of the field right now is that it does take true leadership, right? It's not about just saying you're doing the right thing and then ignoring what's going on around you. Because what I see all the time is, you know, you take something simple like paying for flights, right? So that's an inducement for healthcare services. It's illegal. You know, you can do these promissory note things, but unless you're collecting yeah. on it, it's an issue, right? But all these yeah. owners will just look the other way. They're just like, well, you know, everyone else is doing it. And if we don't do it, then we're going to lose clients. And you're right. You absolutely will. You will lose clients because of it. So are mm-hmm. you willing to take that leadership position and do it the right way and still find ways to make it work, even though everyone else around you is taking the shortcuts, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and it's, been, it's been really frustrating to see because in the, in the almost three years that we've been open, um, I, I've watched uh, some treatment centers near us and all that kind of stuff just blow up. Blow up and just went big and, you know, and then all this, thing about the body brokering thing started happening and and they tried to do the right thing but they couldn't because they had grown so big Mm. and that it was it was going to be too much of an ego blow for them to downsize back to a practical operation Mm. you know what i mean it's like how do i go from being a big treatment center down to a little treatment center yeah that's that's very ego deflating you know what i mean and a lot of them would just shut down they just file bankruptcy or close down or they be, you know, get put on investigation, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just been, it's always been kind of a hard thing and I've seen it happen here. So that's, interesting. Um, that's why we decided that we would just go small. We'd start off small, we'd grow organically, we'd do all this, you know, type of stuff and that we would be okay. I, I always, me and my wife always felt that, um, that karma, that as long as our focus was on our clients, and we're taking care of our clients and providing the best possible care that we could for them that we would get taken care of. And that takes a lot of faith and trust. Yep. And yes, does education, business experience, clinical experience, does that all play a part in that? Absolutely. But it takes it, it, it does take some faith and trust in if you do believe in God, in, in believing in God's gonna take care of you in that way where doors are gonna open up for you. It, mm-hmm. It's never failed in the three years that I've been around in my own company that there, there were times where it was like, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? You know, <laughs> right. you start stressing right. out and you start going and you're like, oh, my goodness, what, what are we going to do? You know, and, and, and a lot of the anxiety and stress and 
some of the worry starts kicking in and, and you go, he hasn't let you down yet. Mm. And then boom, right after that, we start getting phone calls. Yeah, I'm looking for treatment. Can I come in? You know, da, 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 da. And then boom, clients come in. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and then they stay with us for, for a long period of time. Our clients stick around for a long period of time, you know, and uh, that's, that's what we like. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, we, we were wanting to do. Easier said than done, of course, until you kind of go through a few of these types of things and stuff like that. But it's been, it's been that way for us. So we were talking a little bit before, and maybe you can you know, explain a little bit more on this. But you guys are very community-based. You're much more local model. So you run an IOP. You've got kind of your outpatient for the mental health aspect of it. But, you know, I was mentioning mm-hmm. that I prefer the community-based model because it's really the aftercare and after you get out of the, the formal treatment period that is the hardest to kind of stay in recovery and keep moving forward. So having a community around you and staying in the community that you came from is incredibly beneficial to that, you know, versus a, a destination rehab model. So can you just talk a little bit yeah. about your, your model, how it's been working for you, that kind of thing? Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, because we we started off small and we didn't have the kind of money, you know, I, I, I don't have no investors. We, we, we started this off with a $10,000 credit card that I maxed out in, in my first month. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it was uh, the, 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 the decision to market locally was based on what, what, what we could afford. And, and that was kind of our, our mentality was, we wanted to to serve our local surrounding communities around us and uh, get involved in the community. So we got involved with the Chamber of Commerce. We got involved with uh, local high schools and sponsoring activities at high schools, you know, doing things like that within our community and making sure that, that people know that we are a resource for them uh, is something that, that we've been, you know, working on. Um, since we moved to our, our location here in Aliso Viejo and then the, and then the surrounding, you know, cities around us and stuff like that. So a lot of our marketing that we do are local and just within Orange County. And, um, and that's kind of the way that, that we have, we don't do any, I, I did do some stuff in Hawaii because I'm originally from Hawaii. Um, but that just didn't, that, that wasn't a good, um, it just didn't work out. I didn't have the budget to market somewhere so far away. You know, but so. it's, it's, I think evidence of the fact that what you're doing is working because you are in Orange County, right? Which is a very crowded yeah. market for addiction treatment. So the fact that yeah. you're doing well shows, I think, I, I think it highlights how, you know, unfortunately many centers are not community integrated, right? They're just PPO mm-hmm. policies from around the country. And so they don't have a community presence. And, you know, in my opinion, they're not really working towards advancing the field overall. They're just too focused on themselves. And I mean, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily wrong. It's, it's okay, but I think we can do so much more, you know, in this space in terms of creating a positive image for ourselves, for the field and helping out our communities as well as the patients coming into our centers. Yeah, and it's it's too bad. I mean, when we had moved here to Elisa Viejo from our own location in Ladera Ranch, um, we ran into some, you know, uh, city city kickback, you know, and, and a lot of the cities in Orange County from, you know, Huntington Beach down to San Clemente, uh, all these cities are just flabbergasted and tired of all these treatment centers and sober livings that aren't managed well and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And when we moved to Elisa Viejo, the city of Elisa Viejo put a moratorium in place not to allow any any behavioral health services to open up. Yeah. Like put a moratorium in place and said, no, no, no. Nobody else is coming into our city until we can figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. And a lot of a, a lot of the things that that kicked them into gear in doing this was because of the other neighboring cities running across problems and they wanted to get a ahead of it before it got too bad, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I just went to a city council meeting and shared with the council the other day about a ordinance that they're putting in place to try and control this population from, from you know, going crazy in, in this city mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So they've mandated certain things that we have to do and, and all this kind of stuff, which is fine. And I, I made some suggestions to the city council that maybe they could consider, um, you know, in, in their new ordinance, uh, in zoning, you know, and, and making sure that 
people like us or businesses like us are are obeying and and following and not making things really worse. But it's all these bigger treatment centers that have made it really bad for us small little businesses or yeah. treatment centers to operate. You know what I mean? Because of their neglect. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, as you said, you just build partnerships with the community in the right places. And you show them that you're a good operator and they're willing to work with you. And then you can help them, you know, Mm -hmm. like just exactly like you're doing, make the ordinances that are appropriate. You know, we need, obviously we need treatment centers. We need sober livings. It's very important for everyone that's struggling out there, but we also don't want, you know, people running amok, building them left and right, and then not taking care of the people that are in them, which has been the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, filling them up crazy. Oh Yeah. So I'm sure some listeners are kind of interested. I don't know how much you're willing to share about your experience at Sovereign. Um, but, you know, obviously they went bankrupt not too long ago and they were well known for some of the fraud and stuff that was going on there. Um, but I don't know if you're willing to speak about just kind of maybe warnings to other operators out there or lessons you learned about maybe what not to do. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think we've uh, we've kind of touched on it and, Sovereign was you know, no different than any of these other treatment centers that have fallen into, you know, legal problems and, you know, with insurance companies and district attorney and FBI and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we know Sovereign wasn't any different than any of these other treatment centers that have that have been shut down, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and we kind of saw as an as an employee there, uh, I left them four years ago, you know, and for a bunch of us who were in leadership positions there uh, saw a lot of the writing on the wall. And, um, and we had to make our own decisions for ourselves about whether or not we wanted to be a part of something like that. It was exciting on one hand because you were part of something that you probably would never ever experience working for another treatment center as fast as it was for sovereign. And I think that was the attraction for me with my, my business education and my, my clinical uh, experience and stuff in the field, I I initially thought, wow, this is a great opportunity for me to learn because I'd never be able to step into a Betty Ford and, and, and be in the position that I was in, you know what I mean? Or one of these bigger nationwide treatment centers. And, and for me, uh, it, it was a great opportunity to kind of see and be a part of something like that. But there was a lot of these undermining things that was going on that we were unaware of. But when we did become aware of them, we as individuals needed to make choices about whether or not we're going to be able to put our names next to this, mm-hmm. you know, cause it wasn't just a company. You're also putting your own reputation on the line too, yep. for what you stand for. Right. You know? And, uh, I left sovereign at about a year and a half said, I'm done with this. This is something that I want to be a part of Went somewhere else that that didn't work out. I was just having kids and, and family and I went back to sovereign again in a different role. And I lasted another year, I think, there, and I just said, I'm done. Like, I just cannot, like, do this. And um, it, it, it's sad because, for me, is because I was a part of – I was in a position with Sovereign where I was the director of strategic development at the time. And my primary goal was expanding Sovereign Health. So a lot of the facilities that Sovereign grew into, uh, not just locally here, but in Texas, in Arizona, in San Diego, in Florida, I was a part of opening up these facilities, you know, and that was my primary job for them. And uh, but it was all the underlying stuff because I hired all the directors for these treatment centers. And then I started getting calls from the, from them going, Ben, what's going on? What's happening with this and that? I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I am I got you guys started. I'm kind of not in the day-to-day scene of, of everything. But it's hard when, when these people are calling going, Ben, you know, this is un- unethical. It's, it's illegal and da-da-da-da-da and all this kind of stuff. And I just have to step away. And, and I just said, I'm done. I, I just can't do it. And that's what kicked me into gear in opening up Phoenix Rising. So that was my experience. I mean, it was a great experience in learning and being a part of something like that. I just wish that it went in a healthier way. Yeah. You know, and, and things didn't have to get so crazy. Well, I think something to point out that, you know, you're mentioning there is the importance of sustainability and measured growth and doing it the right way. Because what I've seen with so many treatment centers is they put themselves in situations where they become financially insolvent, basically, right? And then the pressure's mm-hmm. there. 
And so if yeah. you are an owner pressuring your marketing director to deliver results in 30 days, which is, you know, well nigh impossible mm -hmm. if they're new, they're going to resort yeah. to whatever it takes because you're putting all that pressure yeah. on an unattainable goal, right? That can't be done, you know, yeah. using ethical standard business practices. And that happens across yeah. the board, you know, so the marketing director, they're pushing their team, the call center person is pushing their, you know, call reps to just get them in, get them in. Yeah. And then all this mm -hmm. kind of unethical behavior builds because it all becomes around the numbers. So from a business perspective, yeah. you have to be incredibly, you know, forward thinking to make sure that you don't put yourself in this position. Because, I mean, what we saw with Sovereign is what they did is they would just get investment and then purchase the next center, right? And then once the next center was mm -hmm. open, they would tell investors that they need more money to open another one. And so they were always in debt and always scrambling to pay the bills. Where if you look at someone like TMS or Acadia, they do it very smart, right? They make sure they attain a certain level of profitability, they have additional cash flow in place, and then they use that mm -hmm. to fund the opening of the next center. And that's incredibly right. smart. That's the right way to grow. Yeah, I, I even think about the story of Starbucks, right? You remember when Howard Schultz left, they just focused on mm -hmm. growth as a company. That was it. And then they got themselves to a position where the company had seven months of cash flow left and were going to close, you know, and they had to mm -hmm. close over 900 centers to pull that back and rebuild the company, right. you know, because they, they were too focused on growth and numbers and not focused enough on the business and doing things the right way and being sustainable with a long-term vision. So lots, lots to learn from all of this, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I think that's where, I, I really believe that that's where, uh, if, if I didn't go through those experiences or experience that, I, I, I wouldn't know what those look like. Because when you're the owner of a treatment, it's a totally different animal. Right. You're faced with all these pressures and the finances and all. You're not just worried about, oh, a client. Mm -hmm. You're not just worried about, oh, I got to do case management today. You're not just worried about, oh, I got to go visit a treatment center and do some marketing things today. Like you're, you're, you're involved and a part of everything that's going on. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. Yep. And um, I think one of the things that I had learned when I first started in, in the industry 29 years ago the, the mentors that I had at the time and even my, my, my sponsor at the time had told me uh, because I was just so, I, you know, I think in my third year of sobriety, I already wanted to open up my own treatment center already. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I got this. I know how to do this. <laughs> I want to open up my own treatment center, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And my sponsor was like, no, no. He said, you're going to have to go and do every single position that's in this industry for at least two years. He said, you have to learn every single role, every single position, and you got to do it. And when that happens and you go back to college and you can add some letters behind your name around business and all that kind of stuff, then maybe you can think about opening up your, your own treatment center. Well, that took me over 25 years yep. um, of going through this field and doing just about every single position within this industry, except for the CEO position. Um of experience uh, in, in, in learning what I have today. That didn't just come overnight. I didn't, because I felt like if, if, if I didn't learn these roles, how was I gonna be able to help an employee if I never did the role? Mm -hmm. You know, how was I gonna guide somebody uh, as the owner to do a certain job if I didn't do it myself? Right, right. You know what I mean? So I've, I, I've learned through my own experience uh, and, and, and holding different roles within this industry so that I know what the pitfalls are. I know what the, you know, what, what has to be done right and all that kind of stuff. I had to learn all of that. You right. know what I mean? So it's taken a long time for me to get to this point where, where I am today, you know? I love that. You're absolutely right that you just have to, you have to learn so much before you go. I mean, so many of these guys, they, they still have that addicted mentality, right? It's kind of the way, you know, yeah. a good friend of mine, Peter Brunzel, he always talks about this. He's like, you know, you can get sober. He's like, but you really haven't rebuilt and reformed your life and your mindset and your way, mm -hmm. you know, operating the world for, he's like 10 years. He's like, it took me 10 years to kind of get over yeah. the mentality that I had when I was in active addiction, you know? And I mean, I remember that, mm -hmm. right? You're very anti-authoritarian. You break the rules all the time. You don't care about other people mm -hmm. as much, right? 
And that's just yeah. that's just what we do in active addiction. And so being sober doesn't change that overnight. Yeah. <laughs> you, it takes you years yeah. to redo your mindset and, you know, become a productive member of society that's working to have a positive impact versus just, you know, hustling to buy yourself a new Maserati. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I'm grateful for that, for that early teaching, uh, seriously. And, uh, I remember, I remember around 10 years of my sobriety, I was just like, I was working for the department of public safety in Hawaii in the prison system, providing care and services in a therapeutic community model there in the prison system. And I, and I had maxed out as far as how high I could go in the structure, like getting promoted and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I want that position. And my sponsor was just like, well, the position requires that you have at least a bachelor's degree uh, in order for you to even apply for the job. You know, and he was like, guess what that means? You're going to have to go to school <laughs> and you're going to have to get some degrees behind your name in order for you to in order for those opportunities to open up. Mm. So at 10 years of sobriety, at 30 years old, I sign back up or I sign up for college. The special ed student who didn't like school, never loved school, hated school, got to a place in my recovery at 10 years of sobriety and in my career where it was just like, if I didn't do that, that was as far as I was gonna go, you know? And uh, that started my college career. And I ended up falling in love with school so much that I went into my master's program and then I went into a doctoral program because I, I, I ended up falling in love with, with, with education and learning. And it was so crazy because everything, everything that I learned in college, I tried to, to add the treatment component to it. You know what I mean? So every assignment that I did, I was always talking about treatment. I was always talking about the structure of treatment. I was always talking about, you know, anything to do. I was trying to tie it in to the industry that I was in. So I got a lot of education and experience with that around our field and my, and my own life experiences. So it was, it was a really great thing. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, and, and, and I don't know, it was just a, it was a big thing. I was in school 12 years, hmm. you know, um, <laughs> so it was, it was great. It was, it was lovely. <laughs> so you've got all these experiences and all this learning, right? So how do you apply yeah. all of that to Phoenix Rising? You know, what do you recommend that people do that you see that's working? I think just what I just said, I, I, I don't think there's a replacement for experience and education. I think the two are very important uh, uh, things that as leaders in this industry that, that we must have, you know, and I think if we're connected with like-minded people, those like-minded people are going to support each other, you know what I mean? And, and be a support system for, for each other. Just like I was talking earlier about that one treatment center that I, that I'm working with and, and uh, it's a, it's a husband and wife team also and, and all that kind of stuff there is, it's, it's that, but I, I can't do anything. If it wasn't for all of the experiences that I've had and my education, I don't think I'd be able to, to keep Phoenix rising open. Right. Right. I think we have to work together more as a community. Right. I mean, when we find good people yeah. and my experience has been when you find the right people, people are very open to supporting each other and building the field. They overall. are, you know, they where are. you find the wrong people, yeah. they hide things, they keep it close to the vest. They don't want to share because they're worried about you stealing patients from them or stealing market share mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, and for me, yeah. I just have a very abundant attitude towards business. You know, I'm not in competition with people. We're very unique in what we do. We're very good at it, you know, and mm -hmm. the same thing goes for a treatment center. If you're very good at what you do, there are more than enough people that need our help, right? <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. we shouldn't be looking at yep. competing over patients. We should be looking and saying, okay, how can we help the most people possible? You know, and maybe that yeah. does take some changing, you know, so that you do a little bit over here and I do it a little bit differently over here to help each other out, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, let's, I, we've kind of been great conversation. I've loved it. I thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah. But I want Me to too. You kind of get into it. You know, you just kind of <laughs> like, whoa, yeah. Right. Kind of start taking over. Right. You know? uh, I feel like sometimes it gets kind of pent up, right? You're like, ah, <laughs> Yeah. Got to fix this. Got to fix it now. <laughs> I can actually talk to somebody about this and they're not going to like. Right. 
what you're gonna put it on a podcast are you right. serious no we can't put that out in the world right you know? right God because forbid. i because yeah i i i haven't been able there you know it's 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 select you have to be selective with the people that you're you're talking to and and it's just like when i go and visit treatment centers i'm talking to owners like i'm so i just tell them that i don't do this i don't do this i don't do this do you do it <laughs> you know what i mean like so <laughs> yeah. they they know like at the beginning of the conversation that i have with them they know where i stand there mm-hmm. is no like you know question of Oh, I wonder if Ben, I wonder, no, no, he's pretty straightforward. The guy isn't gonna, uh, he's not about any of that. And I never hear from him again. Right. Never right. hear from those owners again. Yeah. And you know, and that's how you know if they're true or not, you know? Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. So any final thoughts you want to give on kind of, I know we covered a lot of stuff today. Uh, no, I just want to continue encouraging uh, people to like we, what we've been talking about is, you know, uh, connect with people in, in your in your local community. Connect with other treatment providers that are doing the right thing. They're out there, um, and and build that relationship with them that you can share. You know what's truly going on, and not worry about being a a, a competition or you know things like that. Um, I think everything that we've talked about. I just want to just kind of re encourage and and uh, hopefully people take this in and. I'd love to be a part and, and find out what kind of responses you're going to have in regards to this discussion. Oh, uh, maybe have, and, and maybe have future discussions about, you know, some of the things that we talked about with, with others and, and maybe getting on a, on a, on, you know, having other people a part of uh, certain topics that we've talked about and, and taking it even further. Yeah. I'd love to be a part of that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, piggybacking off of what you said, I think for any listeners out there, you know, I've developed a, a good but tight network of, of excellent providers, you know, and so if anyone ever wants to reach out to me personally and say, hey, can you put me in touch with someone that's really good with billing or a really good center operator or someone that's really good in, you know, BD, whatever it is, I mean, just reach out to me, you know, Nick at com. I'm happy to, you know, provide connections because we do have to grow this field and we have to do it together. Um, so Ben, on your end, you know, if people want to contact you or learn more about Phoenix rising, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, you can go to our website at phoenixrisingbehavioral.com. Um, all of our information is there as far as what we provide, or you can call, call 877-299-5694 and, uh, someone will be right there. You can also chat on our website if you wanted to, you can chat with us. Um, if you have any questions about what we, what we do or how we can help you, uh, we're truly here to help uh, anybody struggling with with addiction to mental health issues to to anything. So if there's anything that Phoenix Rising can do uh, to support our community or just anybody, um, please reach out to us. We'd really appreciate helping and would feel honored in, in helping. Great. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for having me, Rick. As always, the Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc. You can find out more about them on www.circlesocialinc.com. And with that, we look forward to seeing you guys next time. Have a good one, everybody.